This is the Savvy Philanthropist Podcast. My name is Kirk. We are a financial planning podcast for people who want to do philanthropy well. Whether you're a donor trying to do some good in the world, or you're a development officer trying to connect resources with the people who need them, this podcast is all about how to navigate our U.S. legal and financial system in order to make the greatest philanthropic impact you can. This is episode 13, Who Does What? Like it says in the introduction to every episode, the goal of philanthropy, at least as I see it, is to connect resources with the people who need them. The conduits to connect those resources and people are generally the charitable organizations we see working in our communities every day. But within those organizations, there are people who are actually doing the work of connecting donors and needs. This week, as we get close to finishing our introductory series on the basic outlines of modern philanthropy, I want to lay out the ways in which charities typically organize their fundraising efforts. These are the people who help donors make the positive impacts that are important to them. First, we'll start with the small charities that do heroic work in our local communities. These are the mission-driven organizations in your neighborhood, like pregnancy centers, youth mentoring programs, urban garden initiatives, things like that. Small organizations like this don't typically have a budget for anything like a fundraising staff. For that matter, they often don't have a budget for any sort of paid staff at all. But they're doing critical work to make the world better. In this sort of situation, the primary fundraiser is almost always the founder-slash-director. In other words, the person running the program. In a lot of cases, that person is probably more interested in the mission than the fundraising, but in almost every case, the mission requires fundraising, so it's part of the job. One of the most important tools for an organization like that is an involved governance board that can, among other things, help the director raise more resources. From there, we'll bump up to a somewhat larger charitable organization. At this level, the organization has a couple of paid staff members and a reasonably long-term presence in the community. At some point, a charity like this will realize that it can grow its mission-based impact by having someone on staff who focuses on fundraising. Sometimes this will start as a half-time position or something, but eventually it makes sense to have a full-time staff member who is focused on finding the resources that permit the other staff members and volunteers to reach out to the community and make a positive difference. I often see this sort of situation in local church organizations. The next tier up is a large charity that has substantial paid staff and a significant budget. At some point, it makes sense to have more than one paid staff member focus on fundraising. This happens because an increasing number of people are becoming interested in the charity's work and want to get involved. The development staff's job is to connect those people with the change they want to make. And the more interested people there are, the more staff members it takes to share that message effectively. But once there is more than one fundraiser, then there is a fundraising staff, and this means organization. Typically, there is one director of the fundraising team who reports directly to the director of the organization. The various members of the fundraising team, usually just a handful of people at this point, maybe three or four, often focus on different parts of the charity's mission in order to be well-educated about specific aspects of the organization's work. A good example here is a museum. Medium-sized museums often have a handful of fundraisers on staff, and each member will focus on a different part of the museum. That way, a donor who wants to make a particular kind of impact can work with a staff member who really knows how to maximize that impact. And finally, we come to the large organizations with robust fundraising staffs. Here, the most common example is large universities with significant endowments. What do those sorts of operations look like? Great question. At this level, there can be anywhere from several dozen to several hundred fundraisers. Really. I'm looking at you, Big Ten schools, just as an example. But again, that's because there are a lot of people who want to contribute to the work these organizations are doing. The work is sophisticated enough that there is considerably more specialization on the staff. To start with, there is an annual giving staff, 
These are the folks that reach out to interested alumni and friends for simple gifts to provide immediate support for the people the organization serves. The next group of folks are called the Directors of Development. These are the frontline fundraisers who work directly with individual donors to connect them with the programs that matter to them. Supporting those de develop development directors, there are a couple of other positions with particular roles. One is often referred to as a Director of Corporate and Foundation Relations. This is a person who works with philanthropic foundations around the country to see the, where the priorities of those foundations intersect with the work of the university or organization. Another supporting role is known as a Director of Planned Giving. This is actually what I do in my analog job. The goal of this position is to provide technical expertise around legal and financial issues to help donors make the greatest impact they can. Sound familiar? That's exactly what I'm trying to do with this podcast. But anyway, beyond the fundraising staff, there are also additional staff members who manage the organization's finances. To be specific, managing a large endowment fund takes some expertise and attention, so there are a few staff members focused on that too. So in a nutshell, those are the folks who do the work of connecting charitably-minded people with the people and programs who need some help. Sometimes people get a little uncomfortable talking about fundraising and the people who make a career of doing that, but if we bear in mind that this is simply the act of connecting resources with the people who need them, we can recognize fundraising as one of the critical elements of making the world a better place. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you know other people who might find this podcast worthwhile, please share it on your social media platform of choice. And if you're feeling particularly generous, a rating or review for the show on whatever podcast service you use would really help to get the word out about the show. You can find The Savvy Philanthropist on the internet at thesavvyphilanthropist.net. By the way, did you hear that? That's the new URL for the show. I finally got those website issues straightened out, so be sure to check that out. You can also find me on LinkedIn at the link below in the show notes. And you can follow me on Twitter where I am at RossPlan. Lastly, if you have any ideas, suggestions, or helpful insights, feel free to email me at thesavvyphilanthropist at gmail.com. That's it for episode 13. Thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to have something a little different. We're going to have our first interview episode. There are some really great charitable resources out there these days. And when I find one that I think is particularly great, I plan to share it with you. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Until then, remember, do well. Then do good, but always be savvy.